Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. Second Kings 4, verses 1 through 7. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? She said, Your servant has nothing except a jar of oil. And he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourselves and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her sons, Bring me another vessel. He said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, would you say amen? I want to say a word again of welcome to any of our guests here with us. My name is Parker. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life, and normally our rhythm is to work through books of the Bible. We're currently going through the book of Philippians verse by verse, and from time to time we have said, and we often do, just take little breaks, especially on special occasions. It's worth a moment of brief detour, and we have several occasions in the month of May, Mother's Day being one of them, and so again, happy Mother's Day to all of you ladies here. And I want to say that this text is certainly aimed at, at towards mothers and certainly ladies, but it's also to everyone. It's a sermon that I think we can all make relevant application, and certainly parents, because you know this, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, you never stop being a parent. And the command of honor your father and mother that is given to us in God's Word as children is a lifelong command. And that is a command that maybe takes different shapes and forms. So as children... We are to honor our father and mother, and in the same way, you have a lifelong calling, lifelong calling to be a mother, to be a dad, to be a husband and a wife. And so there's going to be many applications in this text, and I want to spend our time this morning looking at this Old Testament passage of a brief story of this widow who comes to Elisha in 2 Kings. And I want to apply it specifically to mothers and to women today, but I think, as I said before, there is great application for everyone here. There are many themes, specifically when you look at the Old Testament in many directions that I can go in, but that is often the case when you preach through the Old Testament. But I'm going to press towards this truth this morning. Our sermon summary, sermon summary is this, is that when God, God is our portion, we have more than enough. When God is our portion, we have more than enough. There's often a tendency within all of us to find our contentment or our satisfaction in the things of this world, whether it be our possessions or our wealth or our family or our good fortune. 
we often look to those things to ballast us, to keep us encouraged or to keep us comfortable. And the problem with that is that just like this world, those things, number one, they are never promised to us. And so if they are a portion, they're a portion that may not come. And secondly, they're all passing away. They're all like sand passing through our fingers that we just can't hold on to. And all of these things will eventually fail us. And there will never be enough for us to cling to. And all of those things so often can define us. And even here on this day, there may be some in your minds, even today, saying, am I enough? Am I enough as a woman? Am I enough as a mother? Do I do enough? Can I give enough? Am I doing things right? Am I doing things well? I just feel like I lose my temper so easily. I just feel like so often I'm so selfish. I don't want to be that way. Or other moms might do it differently than me. Other moms are more thoughtful than me. Or other people love better than I do. And all of these things can begin to fill our heads with, am I even a good mom? Am I even a good mother? Am I a good wife? And it can be so exhausting, an exhausting cycle of a matter of, get this, sufficiency. A matter of satisfaction. A matter of, of something being your portion. And my desire this morning is to preach in this text that God alone is the only one who can give us all that we need and exactly what we need. And God alone is to be our portion. He is enough. He provides for us and He does in us. What He does in us is sufficient. It's enough. And moreover, this sermon is about resting, not in your work, but in the work of Christ and what He's done for us. A little bit of background in this morning's text. We find ourselves in 2 Kings, and the book of First and Second Kings really shows the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness to remain faithful to the covenant that He made with King David. But it also shows the incredible sin of the people of Israel and of Judah, of them forsaking the Lord and rebelling against Him. And the kingdom is at its height of financial stability and height of, of, of greatness, and it divides under the reign of Solomon, who is David's son. And now these two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, are experienced decades and secession after secession of kings until eventually the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And as you study the, the trajectory of the northern kingdom and the southern tribe of Judah, Israel in the north, every one of their kings was a bad king. Every one of them. Every one of them did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And while Judah had some experiences of this glimmers of hope, if you will. Good kings, they also experienced bad kings. Kings that would do evil in the sight of the Lord. And in addition to these kings, in First and Second Kings, you see it in First and Second Chronicles as well, but specifically in First and Second Kings, you see two notable prophets. Most notable, if you will. There are more. One is Elijah, and then his predecessor, Elisha. There were certainly others, and there were many false prophets there as well, and often those bad kings would turn to those false prophets for advice and counsel. But there were others that were faithful to the Lord. Others in this text that we'll see that was actually the husband of this widow. And most notably, there was Elijah. And there was Elisha. Elijah was most notable for a few things. 
calling down fire from heaven to defeat the prophets of Baal. He was also one that stood boldly against the evil of Jezebel, who was wife, well, the wife of the king Ahab. And Elijah was a glimpse of God's power, of purity, of sovereignty. In the midst of great evil and adversity, Elijah was a reminder that Yahweh still reigns. The sovereign Lord is still in control. But when we come to 2 Kings, Elijah had been taken up in a whirlwind. And who comes after Elijah is the prophet Elisha. And whereas Elijah's ministry can be categorized by judgment and by fire, Elisha in many ways would be categorized by grace and by mercy. And such would be the, the, the correspondence or the parallels that you see even in the New Testament of John the Baptist would be depicted if someone much like Elijah as the forerunner, if you will, calling sinners to repentance and warning of the judgment of God. And he's followed by the Christ who comes gentle and lowly with mercy and with grace for sinners. And here in this text, we see the beginning of Elijah's, Elisha's ministry. His prophetic ministry begins with six miracles. And they're seen in beginning in 2 Kings chapter 4. This is the second of the miracles that you see from the prophet Elisha. His display of grace and compassion and mercy towards a widow and her family. I want to call your attention to a few points this morning, the first of which is the widow's problem. Look at verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. This woman is facing quite a dire set of circumstances. First of all, she just lost her husband. In addition, there's a substantial amount of debt. Further, she is faced with the reality of life after the death of her husband. She now has to specifically care alone now for her two children. And now that there is, there is law and legal precedence, if you will, that she owes a debt. And because she owes that debt, she's subject to pay that debt. And if she can't pay that debt, her children can be bound and be put into slavery by the creditors. She is in many ways facing hardships of life and the circumstances of life. Her problem is a great problem. And as much loss as she has faced already, she's staring down the possibility of even more loss. There could be more loss that comes under the circumstances. And she goes and she pleads to Elisha, who likely knows her husband and the family, and says to him, you know your servant. My husband, he feared the Lord. Some even wonder, early rabbinic teaching would say that this prophet, who is her husband, could have been the prophet Obadiah, who aided in the persecution of the prophets under, the king, um, under king Ahab. But nonetheless, this lady is looking within her circumstances, and here's a woman with a great need. And regardless of how heartless we may say it would be for this creditor to come and collect at this time, how merciless could you be? How uncompassionate could you be? Yet the law of the land, he had the right to do so. In Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15, he had the right to do so. And if she couldn't pay 
her children would be subject to slavery until the year of Jubilee. Yet this woman looks around, and all she sees is hardship. She sees a great problem. She sees seemingly no solution and an absolute desperation. She comes to Elisha, and she asks for help. There's several points of applications to even make in this text of the care of pastors to be able to provide for their family, not just here, but when they're gone. Or the, the, the situation of a sad place of this widow to lose her husband who gave his life to be devoted, devoted to the Lord only to be in a position that everything she has can now be taken away from her. Or simply as someone that is, that is mourning the loss of her husband now faces the incredible difficulty of life without her mate. Or even more generally, the hardships of life that we all face. Or you as a mom who are tempted to look around and to think, how is this going to work? I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I can't give enough to even care for my own children. And a part of this passage, what we see here, is that we are reminded of the grace of God and the mercy of God to the needy. We are reminded that God is a God who meets us in the midst of our trouble. And God is, takes care and provides provision for the care of widows. And He cares for those that are often overlooked. And He cares for those who are often exploited within society. And God cares about you and He cares about your provision as well. And in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of struggle, when you look around and think, I'm just not so sure how this is going to work. Have you been there? The widow's problem. Point two, the prophet's instruction. Verses two through four. Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing except a jar of oil. And he said, go outside, borrow the vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind you, yourselves and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. We saw the widow's problem, but here we are introduced to another aspect of this dilemma. When the prophet says, what shall I do for you? And what do you have in the house? Her response is, I have nothing. I have nothing at all. But I do have oil in a jar. And just for note, it's just one jar. One little jar of oil. A souk is the Hebrew word. It literally means a small flask, just a small container of a little bit of an oil. And in spite of how little she has, in spite of her lack of much, what a woman of faith. What a testimony of this woman who says, I'm not sure what to do, and Lord knows I don't have much, but I'm going to turn to the Lord, and I'm going to receive instruction from His messenger. And Elijah turns to her and says something quite peculiar. Go outside, borrow some vessels from your neighbors, and get as many as you can, and take all of those and take that little jar of oil, and I want you to start pouring it into these newly found vessels that you've collected. And where I think many of us would be tempted to say in that moment, well, well, well it's not going to work. You see, the equation just doesn't add up, Elisha. Need I remind you that I only have a single jar here? My portion is not enough to what you're asking for me to do. And moms, parents, 
Let me tell you, sometimes the greatest blessing you can give to your children is the posture and disposition of this woman that says this, I may not have much, but this I do have. I do have confidence. I do have faith in the provision of my God. And I'm going to look to Him. I may not have much, and I may not have much to give, but I will trust God to supply and meet my needs, and I will live a life of faith together. And as a mother to say, as Joshua commends Israel, what a gift to your house to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a gift you could give to your children in that way. What a gift you could give to your family to live in that way. And so often we get caught up in what we have and what we don't have. And all these things become the measure of who we are and what defines us. But there is something greater, beloved, that ought to define you. It's who you are in Christ and your willingness to obey His commands and to follow Him. And so here's a lady where it says, I have nothing much at all, but I do have a single jar of oil. And I have a willing heart to do whatever God commands. But my goodness gracious, she had way more than she realized. And so often, the Lord invites us in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our struggle, to respond in faith. And to respond in faith that God, in the expectation that God is still working. The widow's problem, the prophet's instruction, point three, God's provision and power. Look at verses five and six. So when she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons, and as she poured, they they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another. And he said, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. Again, notice her obedience to Elisha's instruction. Despite the oddness, despite even a tendency to say, I don't have much, she does exactly what Elisha commands of her. And I realize that here, that really before we get into the bulk of the story where everything comes together, I want to unpack a couple of truths and make some applications. Let me point to you a couple of realities here, even in this point. Number one is that Elijah isn't even present when the miracle takes place. This is to infer that this is a miraculous working, not of Elisha, but of the power of God. Here is not the working of a prophet, but the working of God and the power of God alone. There was no need for a magic handkerchief that was prayed over. There was no need to send money in to a ministry to receive something back or to have some faith healer. It wasn't what she needed. She needed the power of God. And it was God alone who has the power to bring life to these circumstances where things seem to have no hope. And it's unmistakably clear that God is the God alone is the one who provides. God is alone who the one that gives abundance in the midst of our need. And the reality here is not so much about what we have and what we don't have, but about the power of God. The power of God to use ordinary means to accomplish extraordinary results. And God does this time and time again throughout the scriptures where we so often that all we have is but five loaves and two fish. And in God's economy are multiplied to be more than enough, more than sufficient to where we eat and are filled and are satisfied and there's even pieces left over. And it's not so much about what the widow did. And it's not so much about what she had or what she didn't have. 
but it's about the power of God to give her precisely what she needed. Second thing I would point out is that here's a woman with a private struggle, one that likely no one else around her knew about. The widow knew, the creditor knew, Elisha knew, but everyone else probably didn't have a clue. The neighbors didn't know. The friends that the vessels vessels were borrowed from, they didn't know. Her family likely didn't know. Even her own children probably didn't even recognize the burden that she was carrying, the struggle that this lady was walking in daily, the reality of her hardship. And so the Lord comes to her through the instruction of Elisha saying, go privately in your own house. You have a private need and I'm going to meet it for you privately. Shut the door with your children and begin to fill all these vessels. And every vessel, get this, get the picture as these vessels are being brought to her. Every single vessel as she's pouring it in from that little cup of oil that she had. It had to be a reminder of God's faithfulness, of God's provision and care for her, of God's provision and care for widows, James 1.27, and His care for the fatherless, Psalm 68, verse 5, for His care for the pastor and the pastor's family, 1 Corinthians 9, 1-14, and of God's care and provision for His children, Psalm 103.13. And here's what I want to say to mothers, to ladies, to wives, to everyone that so many of us walk in daily struggles, private struggles. Am I sufficient? Am I enough? Do I do do enough? Am I going to make it? And you're searching all around you for a portion that may fill your vessel. But know this, the only one who can fill you is Christ. And you can search the world a hundred different ways and you'll never find anything to satisfy you and give you what you need. In fact, you search this world a hundred times over and the best you'll find is just a little jar of oil. That's all you'll find in this world and it's not much. But when God is your portion, when God is our supply, when God meets your need, He never runs out. He gives us what we need. He is sufficient and resting in what He supplies is the only place that we can find rest. And when God becomes our everything, and when we look to God to provide, we realize that in Christ we have more than enough. Consider the picture. Vessel after vessel after vessel and coming before the Lord literally with nothing in hand to say, God, I have nothing, but I am looking to you to fill it. I'm looking to you to fill my cup. And vessel after vessel after vessel, they come before the Lord with empty hands and say, God, I've got nothing to give. I've got absolutely nothing. And so God, would you fill me up? And vessel after vessel, God fills when we come to him with empty hands and say, I've got nothing. And when they had no more vessels to give, no more empty hands to give, the oil stops. What a picture of dependency. What a picture of reliance on the Lord. What a picture to say, God, I need you. Moms, you give so much. Ladies, you give so much. You do all you can do only to be left with wanting and wondering, is it even enough? And so my encouragement to you this morning is to be released and to be relieved from your expectation and pressure for you to be a portion. 
Because only Christ is sufficient. And only God is our refuge and strength. And only God can satisfy us. And only God can be our portion. God's provision and power, point number four as we close. We see our great portion and provider, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. When she came and told the man of God, he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now she comes to Elisha and tells him what took place. She tells him of the power of God and the man of God. And Elisha, his instructions to her, the departing verse and the words of Elijah have such a gospel ring to it. Have such a word of of prophetic word of the coming of Christ to say, go, sell your oil, your debts have been paid, and you and your sons can live. Within this story, what you see is not only the power of God, and not only do you see the providence of God, but you also see the redemption of God. In that this widow is able to sell her oil so that she doesn't have to sell her sons. And in the same way, beloved, we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. We were in bondage under slavery in the principalities of this world, Galatians 4.3. We were under the curse of sin. We were enslaved to sin, and the creditor came, and he came knocking. And he says, pay your debt. And we had nothing to offer the Lord. We have nothing within us to give to Him to accomplish redemption. But in the fullness of time and at the right time, Galatians 4, 4 4-7, God sent forth a son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit of His Son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. And so we too, in Christ, receive the same pardon that the widow's sons did. And unlike the widow still had to come and she had to go find a buyer for her oil, we simply come to the hand-scarred nails of Jesus, broken and desperate before God, with empty hands, as the old hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And we come to Christ, and we fling to Christ, and only in Christ we realize that our debts have been paid. And we too, just like the sons, can live on the rest. And the life that Christ gives to us is life eternal. It's life everlasting. And buried just underneath the surface of this text in 2 Kings 4 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the sufficiency we all desperately need and are looking for. The sufficiency of a Savior. The sufficiency of one who pays our debt. The sufficiency of one who suffered for us, the sufficiency of the one who redeemed us and set us free, the sufficiency of Christ on the cross who paid our debts so that we could live. And what He accomplished, the work that He accomplished is enough. His finished work is sufficient and His portion is to be our portion. And the gospel truth is that we look around and we see... I have nothing to give. I have nothing that I have around me that can satisfy, that is, that is adequate, that is sufficient, that's the answer. I have nothing much. 
Yet when God is our portion, and when we look to Christ, we realize that we have more than what we need to be pardoned, to be rescued, to be delivered, and to live. Because when God God is our portion, we have more than enough. And this is why the psalmist Asaph said in Psalm 73, Who have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh, they will fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The old hymn we sing so often, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust on Jesus' name. And on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My encouragement to us this morning is in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, in the midst of laughter, in the midst of joy, in the midst of tears, in the good times and the hard times, in moments when I'm wondering, am I enough? Can I do enough to remember and to rest in a better portion? And His name is Jesus Christ. You know, I look around this room and I know that there is an array of people here today and a great diversity of situations and circumstances. And on a day like today, it just lands differently on the human heart from one to the next. And even yesterday, I held the hand of a mother who just unexpectedly lost her child. And I thought, my goodness gracious, tomorrow's Mother's Day, and it's just going to hit differently. And I look around this room and I know that it just lands different for different human hearts and we have mothers who rejoice and celebrate with their families today. We have children who celebrate with their moms and children who wish they could. We have ladies whose hearts long to have children of their own even now. We have mothers who wish that they could just hold their child again. Mothers who in pain, even right now, grieve the loss of a child. Children who know not the loving care of a mother. Women and families who have aborted children in the tragedy and the offense before God, may you be reminded of the grace of God in Christ. Moms and families looking to grow their their family through fostering and adoption. Broken families, familial conflicts, hardship, burdens, pain, we can keep going. But today is filled with a lot of emotion. For others, joy. For some, pain and heartache. And for so many, it's just a mix of all three. For some, this is a great day, and we rejoice. For others, this is a hard day, and we weep. And for others, this is a bittersweet day. And so we bear with you. And such it is with all of our lives. To be reminded of the beauty and the brokenness of our world and to be reminded of our greater need, our greater portion, our greater deliverer, our greater satisfaction, namely, who is Christ Jesus, who is our Savior, who is our Redeemer, who is our portion, who is our only hope in this life. In his book, 
an ark for all of God's Noahs in a gloomy, stormy day, the Puritan writer Thomas Boston speaks of God being our great and final portion. And he says 15 arguments that God is to be our portion, and it's not that Thomas Boston can't count. It's just like so many other Puritans, he's such a great writer, and he knows how to extract the biblical text. I'll just read for you a summary of what Thomas Boston says. He says, God is a present portion who is at hand and whom we possess here and now. God is an immense portion to be vast and the greatest of all portions. God is an all-sufficient portion. God is an absolute portion. He's a necessary portion. God is a pure and unmixed portion. He's a glorious and happy and blessed portion. God is a particular portion. He's a universal portion. God is our safe portion. God is our secure portion of which no one or this world cannot take for us. God is our suitable portion. God is our incomprehensible portion. God is our inexhaustible portion. And it can never be exhausted or ever run dry. God is the only portion that satisfies. God is a permanent portion, an everlasting portion who remains forever. God is our permanent portion, a never failing portion. He is the only one who has confidence and reliance and hope in this life and the next. He's the only one who can't be taken from us. And He's the only one whom we can be satisfied in. And God is the only one who can be our true portion, that can satisfy the craving within the human heart to say, am I enough? Am I sufficient? Am I enough, mom? Am I enough, dad? Am I enough, daughter? Am I enough? State your name. And if we're looking to it in our own self, we'll always be lacking for more. And what a picture that we see in this text. What a picture of a greater portion, namely God, the power of God, and the sufficiency of God in Christ. Because when God is our portion, we have more than enough. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.